Hey everybody, this is Billy West, and um, the things I do today, all these voices and everything else, movies, television, radio, oh man, you name it, I've done it. And I work with a bunch of big dumb disc jockeys, and they used to have voices like Zap Rannigan, and they say, 20 minutes past 7.30, eh? And you're listening to Sci-Fi Saturday Night Dick. You're home for this sort of thing. Sci-Fi Saturday Night Invasion. We'll tell your people to surrender now and avoid war. Don't think you get me so easily! It is now time for us to put Earth under our rule. It's your sacred duty to tell us the truth. Confess, confess that you've been guilty of witchcraft. You expect me to believe that you can overrun the entire world? We cannot be defeated. We have never been defeated. Yeah, they're dead. They're all messed up. Bye-bye Saturday night. If you've missed the past 219 episodes, welcome to TalkCast 220, and enter a universe where the unexpected is to be expected, unless you're expecting, in which case, well, that was unexpected. Deep in Area 51 on the sub-level 11 Double Bubble Bubblegum Emporium and Sticky Lube, where tonight when we say toys we do mean G.I. Joe, I am the Dome. Joining the talk cast tonight are our usual suspects in the revered time vortex, the violent soundboard vixen, Countess of Technicalness, inaccurately referred to as Testy, when all she wants to do is test, it's our own girl genius, Kriana. Yeah, whatever. From the stacks of her personal quiet place in the dank dungeon Zen Garden, the unmutable woman who herself, known throughout the universe as the Robot Whisperer, it's the Sombrarian. I was going to make a really tasteless joke about burnt chicken Kiev, and then I realized that was a bad idea, so now I have nothing. From the four-color vault of comics in Manchester, New Hampshire, Ginger Ingenue, the body double for Susie Kurtz in Dangerous Liaisons and Cruel Intentions, so we know how she got her reputation. It's the dead redhead. Can I also be her body double for Pushing Daisies? You could. All right. <laughs> Our guests tonight in the second half of the show are Dave Campbell and Steve Lanzilla. Ha <laughs> ha, I did it right. From the Boston Area Toy Collectors Club. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Yeah, you say that now, you haven't heard the show. <laughs> well, I like everything I've heard so far. Ah, perfect. <laughs> and we're only two minutes in. Perfect. Ah, so, uh, second half of the show, we're going to be talking about the Boston Area Toy Collectors Club. We're going to talk about what's new in toy collecting. We're going to talk about what just was announced in New York at the Big Toy Fair. And, and all kinds of other cool stuff, because everybody knows that geeks collect toys. And if you look at my Area 51 office right now, it kind of looks like I've been overrun by them. But in any case, before we do that, we'll start the show as we start the show every time we started the show when we start it. And we'll start it by talking about what's been going on this You're week. particularly in the world. eloquent tonight, Dom. Well, thank you, because I intend to be. Uh, for those of you who are unaware of the impending doom in, in the multiverse... This is Warehouse 13's final season. No! 
And dun, dun, dun. But I think it's kind of cool in a way because they're really going out at the top of their game. They've been doing some incredible stuff for the past couple of years. Actually, they've never really hit a soft spot for any length of time. And they're going out on top. And, and Siffy, for whatever reason they're doing it, uh, has decided that this is going to be their last year, even though it's probably one of their most productive shows. Well, they had to make room for another cycle of face-off because we need more of that in the world. Well, I was going to say they were making room for more of their WWF shows. Yeah, exactly. More wrestling on Siffy is what America needs. But we're not making fun of Face Off this week because Doug, Doug Jones, Jones is on as a guest judge. <laughs> Your friend and I ours, haven't Doug Jones. watched it yet. But oh, my, it's good. Well, my big plan is to get something alcoholic and drink every time he says something that is absolutely sweet and adorable. I figure so I'll be plastered. Second, the whole second <laughs> half of the show, you'll be out. Okay. Uh, he's so he is he's so wonderful it just although i i was a little disappointed because i thought he would be at the end kind of like you know i don't want to send anybody home they're all good i think they should all get a chance he was yet that's not quite what happened <laughs> he was straightforward it was like yeah that wouldn't work <laughs> you know what kind of surprised me though about warehouse 13 what's that this is only season five really it's so only been on for five seasons season, right Maybe that's why they're canceling it because people hear it's only been on for five seasons and go, really? I it, But for me, it feels like it's been on a hell of a lot longer. Well, right. You don't want people being like, oh, my God, that show's been on forever. I suppose. I mean, that's but with just... five seasons. Don't they get syndication? Isn't that the rule? It's 100 episodes, whatever that comes down to. That's usually the break point for syndication. I don't know if that's it's got 100 episodes, but if it doesn't, it should. Oh, that's true, because it started as a summer replacement. Yeah, so it may not have it. Mm. That's not cool. I'm sure they'll syndicate it. They, they can't not, because I'll cry. <laughs> That's kind of the deciding issue there. If you cry, then they can't do it. Yeah, you know, I, I'm very influential at I've heard, <laughs> I've heard that. Hey, one of, one of our guests is getting a movie done. And it, it will come as a shock to anybody <clears throat> that Harlan Ellison is actually allowing them to do a movie. What? He must be whatever he's doing, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Harlan, who has been the most vocal critic of Hollywood and television and quite frankly, rightfully so more often than not, uh, has just, uh, optioned repent. Harlequin said the TikTok man. Are you serious? Yeah. I did not hear that. And this is, this is a book that was actually first published in 65. That book's amazing. It's a terrific, terrific book. And it's, just classic Harlan stream of consciousness, uh, non-linear. It's, it's hard to figure out. Having read the book like seven or eight times, I still can't describe it. (laughs) Well, he's also much more character driven. That's one of the reasons in in sci-fi, 
and I'm completely willing to, if anybody wants to argue with that, with me, with this, this is fine. But there seems to be that line between the hard science fiction that's much more sciency based, like your uh, your Van Voights and your more heavy hitters, mm-hmm. versus the character driven people like Fritz Leiber and Harlan and uh, Spider and people that are, you know. It's Ray much more characters. Yeah. Right. And Harlan is was always much more character driven. So here's here's what got him to do it. The guy who came to him and said, I'd like to write the movie script for this book was J. Michael Straczynski. Oh, that's why. Okay. Because he worked on Babylon Five. He's had connections yeah. with Straczynski before. Him, him and Straczynski go way back. And Harlan, evidently, Harlan's first question to him was, who are you thinking of to direct it? And Straczynski threw two names at him. One of them was not Michael Bay. <laughs> or probably Woody Allen. <laughs> no, one is kind of a surprise to me, and that was Peter Jackson. Huh. Don't do it! But here's the other one. He'll spoil Guill- the end. Guillermo del Toro. Yes. yes, Dome. That was that was one of your more egregious pronunciations. We're gonna ignore it. We're gonna help here, Guillermo. Yeah. But Guillermo del Toro has a very very storied history of signing on to things and then that letting them go. Never happened. He still hasn't made his Lovecraft movie yet. That's true. We've been waiting on that one for a long, long he time. He still yes. hasn't made half the things he's been like yes and i'm so excited i'm like that's great guillermo you be excited (laughs) (laughs) i'm excited too but i'm not hopeful (laughs) i think in this case uh everybody is more than well aware of how mr ellison gets his way Fact. True. He will nail a dead dog to your door if he doesn't like. He threatened to do it to us. He will do it to anyone. (laughs) He will do it to anyone. I think that Guillermo del Toro would enjoy that. He'd be like, oh my gosh, (laughs) that was so sweet of him. What a lovely gift. Thank you. So, you know what? I'm looking forward to seeing how this develops over the next year to year and a half. And I know Straczynski is doing a lot of writing work uh, more than anything else right now. So, I mean, this is, this is a hell of a star-studded project. And it, it could be one of the more interesting projects over the next two years to watch. Yes. So, Sombrarian. Yes. Um, talk to me a little bit about SciFest in Los Angeles. I feel like I should let you talk to me about it because technically you are the one who sent me the link. I did send you the link. I can, I can tell you the new news about it after you give the background. There's this guy and his name is David Dean Batrell. And he came up with this idea for the first annual Los Angeles science fiction one act play festival. Ta-da. Okay. And they're kickstarting it. They're running into a little bit of problem kickstarting it. But here's what's happening. Uh, they scheduled a number of people and put out, here's who's going to be involved. Dean Haglund, 
Julie McNiven, Armin Shimmerman, Linda Park, Adrienne Wilkinson, Tim Russ, uh, and, and some incredible writers. Uh, Dan Castellana from The Simpsons is going to be oh, directing. Yeah. David Blue from Stargate Universe. David H. Lawrence from Heroes. Speaking of Warehouse 13, somebody from Warehouse 13 just got added. I forget if it was an actor or a writer because I'm a very, very bad reporter. I think it was the showrunner from Warehouse 13, wasn't it? Yes, that's who it was. And then they started booking writers. Michael Bernard, who is doing a pair of star-crossed lovers from different planets called Alien the Family, uh, For the Living by Chi-Hoon Lee, uh, directed by uh, Rob Hollux, uh, who wrote the, who directed The Watchers. Uh, and, oh, also Jack Kenny, who directs Warehouse 13, is also directing the play as well. So they, they threw all this stuff up there, and they kind of went, guys, can we do this? Will you, will you come with us on this little uh, experiment? And as they're getting down to a few days left to go with this, something kind of incredible happened, and that was cues, mm-hmm. Ombrarian. They got an angel backer. Ooh. So their goal is, I believe, Dome, you can correct me if I'm wrong, $80,000? That's correct. Yes. And they are not quite there yet. No, they're um, not. To put it mildly. But their angel backer said, tell you what, everything that you get between now and the end of the Kickstarter, I will match dollar for dollar. So they did the math for me, which I always appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> they need 29000 more dollars. The Kickstarter ends at the end of the month. Mm-hmm. So if you're listening to this and you downloaded it on Saturday, it's a week from yesterday. If you're listening live, it's a week from tomorrow. If you don't want to do math, it's February 28th, 2014. <laughs> 14? Yes, that is the year we are in. Um, yes. So... Someone obviously believes in this a lot, and we wanted to give it a bump. If you have $29,000 lying around... (laughs) Drop it off. Just send it their way, because this sounds amazing. Or you could also send them a more regular Kickstarter amount. I'm sure they would appreciate it. And we've actually reached out to uh, David Dean Petrell to uh, join us on the show soon and, and talk about this project, because... It's one of these kind of weird, all-encompassing projects that just sounds like so much fun. Uh, early April. We haven't firmly said anything yet, but he will be on sometime in early April. Awesome. That's terrific. Yay. Woohoo. Anybody so, want to go someplace else at this point? I want to, I, I want to talk about Guardians of the Galaxy. Oh, Okay. Did you see the uh, the first full uh, trailer for it? No, but I hear there's a raccoon. There's I a raccoon. There is a raccoon. Actually, I, I have the link, and the link will be up uh, to take you directly to uh, the new trailer. And the which, guy who plays Andy in 
Parks and Recreation is going to be in it, which is also interesting to me because I am so hip to what the young people are watching these days. (laughs) (laughs) We started watching Parks and Recreation last week when I was sick, and now I can't get enough. Can can I just say that I really had no idea of Guardians of the Galaxy at all. I was totally unfamiliar with it. Well, I don't saw forget that I had interviewed Michael Rooker, and he had just come back from there um, when we saw him down at the Rock and Shock. Oh. Uh. And he, but he wasn't talking much about it because he was obviously so jet lagged because he literally had flown in from England to Boston and was taken to Worcester, which is culture shock enough, I'm sure. <laughs> um, and we were kind Are you of saying like, Worcester is the. Well, never mind. No, no, I'm not saying that. But I mean, after coming from shooting in London, um, and then he's he's in Worcester and with all these zombie people around him, and we said to him, "So, tell us about your character." And he's like, "I'm blue." And we're like, "Oh, you're sad? No, they painted me blue." So that was about as much as we got out of him. Perfect. <laughs> so you know, I saw the, I saw the trailer, and um, honestly, the 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 beginning of this week, a 20-second trailer came out uh, just 24 hours ago from when we're, we're taping right now. The full two-and-a-half-minute trailer came out. I saw the first trailer, and I kind of went, this has the ability to be incredibly bad. No question. Uh, then I saw the full-length trailer yesterday. Actually, it was quite early this morning. And just kind of went, holy crap, this looks cool. Oh, good. So I'm looking forward to it because it doesn't seem as though it takes itself too seriously. Which I'm, any sci-fi movie starring a raccoon would <laughs> not be able to. <laughs> but yeah, I'm point, excited because... Point well taken. I mean, there was Spaceballs. And then there was... Galaxy Quest. Galaxy Quest. Thank you for filling in my brain blank there. Not a problem. I, I a raccoon in Spaceballs. There isn't. Oh. Is there? No. Wait, what was John Candy's character? A mog. Oh, okay. Okay. I forget. Kind of oh, half man, funny. half dog. Um, oh, but right. funny <laughs> sci-fi movies can, can either be tremendously good or tremendously awful. Yeah, and I can't, but I can't think of a tremendously awful one. Heartbeeps with Andy Kaufman and Bernie Oh. I and think it was I'm too meant- young for that. Yeah, you are. And it was meant to be a comedy and failed miserably. Yes. But did. I do love Bernadette Peters. And I loved Andy Kaufman. But I'm with you on both of those. And again, it failed miserably. Uh, <laughs> uh, poor Bernadette. Bernadette. So, uh, oh, and I also got an email from Travis Ritchie this morning. Hi, Travis. And mine. Inspector FaceTime. Yay. Or, no, yes. an inspector who travels through time and sometimes space. Very well put. There we go. And he he's uh, got a new Indiegogo project to take what was going to be season two of Not Inspector Space Time and turn it into a full-length movie. Mm. And I must tell you, and only because I am a huge, huge fan of an untitled motion picture about a space traveler, mm. <laughs> which is uh, the new title for it. 
I am a huge fan of what Travis has done here because of two things. Number one, Sylvester McCoy is in the movie. Woohoo! And if you don't know who Sylvester McCoy is, come on, guys. Go away. Uh, Bob Picardo is in the movie. Oh, woohoo! Chase Masterson is in the movie. Mayim Bialik is in the movie. I mean, it's just oh, jam. Wow, really? Yes. I missed and, that. And I was this, busy getting excited about Bob Picardo. Oh, I, I know. <laughs> because, quite frankly, any one of them would do it for me. <laughs> Don't. Yeah. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> And he's I think asking, I have to put money in the creepy jar. <laughs> yeah, because you took it someplace it had no intention of going. Thank you so much. <laughs> now you know how it feels. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I've reached out to Travis to, to get him on the show for this. Uh, this one is being crowdfunded through Indiegogo, and it's uh, one quarter of the way there already with 37 days left to go. And I like that a lot. Yay! I cannot wait to see. Uh, if you don't know who Inspector Spacetime is, look it up, kids. That's right. This is, this is perhaps one of the funniest examples of how... Um, Fan stuff can go right. A, a, a small bit joke on a sitcom takes off and goes just absolutely viral. So I just wanted to put a plug in for those of you who may have lots of cable or satellite dishes, specifically if you, I know there are certain satellite dishes that are picking this up. There's a brand new station called El Rey or the king, but um, it's owned by uh, Robert Rodriguez of Desperado and from Dust Till Dawn and multiple, multiple movies. Good friend of Quentin Tarantino's um, and of Guillermo del Toro's, I believe. Um, and he started his own station. And at first you would think, okay, we're going to have, it's going to be a spinoff of Univision or something. And instead, he's putting like sci-fi and horror and all this other stuff that he's put together. And right now, they're doing a lot of martial arts-themed movies. And he's got a lot of Sunny Chiba movies. And again, if you don't know the names, look it up. Um, <laughs> I have a question. Deborah Let me had. Google that for you. Yes, yeah. dear. <laughs> Is it a Spanish language station? Partially. Partially. It's apparently, some of it is owned by Univision with Mr. Rodriguez. Um, and they're having some, like, uh, Spanish-themed variety shows. But, and that's why I say there's this big crossover with Univision. But it's not completely going that way. In fact, he's making a series out of From Dusk Till Dawn, which I will keep my own thoughts about that particular... I mean, the movie is one thing. I don't know about a series. Um, but we'll give it a chance. There's a chance. And he's making a whole series, and that will be running on El Rey. Um, he's putting a lot of martial arts films on El Rey. He's putting a lot of horror stuff on El Rey. 
So if, if you like the kind of grindhouse circuit stuff and just fun and exploitation movies and and the goofy stuff. Because those are the, so fun. Yeah, the 60s and 70s type of stuff, then check out the channel because it's pretty. And they have the best commercials because they'll use bits from the martial arts movies and they'll have people yelling oh ray as they kick into someone you know so it's fun. <laughs> it is they have really cool commercials right now i think rodriguez is putting them together himself so but That's it's cool. a fun channel check it out yay this week in london a picture surfaced on uh a place called first post uh, which I guess is one of the websites in London that, you know, when, when you see something, uh, some posting on a website and some idiots always there goes first in the comments. Oh, they do this yeah. for everything. Uh, and this is one of the things they call first reaction. And it is the first look at Peter Capaldi's costume as Doctor Who. And uh, according to the costumer, uh, gone are the capes and ruffles, but there is quite the edge to it. I love that coat. That it's waistcoat a, is awesome. It's a great looking. It's a great looking doctor. Uh, let me see. The most formal doctor in decades. No fez or crusty trainers. I don't know what a crusty trainer is. And that scares me. That's um. That's British slang for sneakers, don't Oh. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. And there's, no, there's a sense that this doctor will punch you in the face if you ever tried to pin a stick of celery to his lapel. Mm. Okay. The Japanese. Eh, I'm not getting that. Oh, the stick of celery was Peter um, Davidson. Oh, no, I'm, I'm just, I'm not seeing this doctor punching you in the face. Looking at you disdainfully. Yes. yes, absolutely. With that, that stance. With that, it looks kind of like um, Doctor Strange, the Marvel character Doctor Strange. Yeah, and to that, some degree, it's, yeah. It's just that that pose that they have of him. But that but jacket, I have to say, is very John Pertwee. I love the coat. Yeah, there are nods, but it's not exact. No, and and I think you know he definitely looks like a more adult doctor. Which yes. is definitely going to have uh, his own look, and I like it a lot. It actually makes me a little nervous, though, that he looks like a more adult, not because he's older, but that he looks like a more serious doctor. But because I was really enjoying um, the kind of return to the sometimes silly doctor. The whimsy, yeah, yeah. And, and on the other hand, I was getting a little fed up with it. I was getting a little tired yeah. of it. I feel like, um, like many things, Stephen Moffat has trouble with. He has trouble writing it sometimes, but I did like that because mm -hmm. I was getting a little sick of. Like, I love David Tennant. Don't get me wrong, and please don't find the Revere Time Vortex and come kill me. Um, <laughs> but I was getting a little bit sick of angsty doctor. Mm. Well, angsty I'm not... doctor got boring a lot faster than 
whimsical, let's go off and play, let's go kill Hitler, Doctor. There was, yeah. I mean, they both had their moments of, please put the baby out of the well. But, yeah. But, Whimsy Doctor had things like, I speak baby, and his name is Stormageddon, Lord mm-hmm. of all. Yeah. Like, just adorable little throwaway things that were fun and that reminded you that he's not supposed to be this interstellar enforcer of everything. He's Mm -hmm. supposed to be a time traveler who hangs out and has fun and does stuff. And And does stuff, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, I think we're going in a a different direction again, and each time they've uh, regenerated, we've had a different look at that same character. So, uh, be interesting to see where it flows from this point. That's true. And while we're on the subject of uh, men and television and movies, the L which is a fashion magazine. Man of the Year this year. It's just L, though. It's just L. It's just L. It's just L? Yes. Not the or anything. It's just L. Man of the Year is Loki, Tom Hiddleston. (laughs) Is it Tom Hiddleston? Because Loki makes the panties drop. (laughs) 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 Is it Tom Hiddleston or is it... Loki. It is Tom Hiddleston. It's Tom Hiddleston. Yeah. He is pretty hot. Ladies like bad boys. <laughs> <laughs> it's as simple yeah. as that. You know Ladies what's... like princes. You Please. I, I don't... I really do my best not to pay attention to too many commercials unless they're fun. And I have to say, I love the new commercial for Jaguar where they're all like, did you ever notice all the bad guys are British? <laughs> That, that's actually a quite fun commercial. You're right. Speaking of Tom Hiddleston, because he's right in there, and he's just, yeah, yes, and we all crest for power, and we all drive Jaguars. <laughs> <laughs> like, Isn't yeah. Tom Hiddleston Irish? Am I, I being too literal about everything? You may be, and I don't know. I don't okay. know. Questions that we could just Google. Yeah. I'm sure if he is Irish, it would make a big difference if we called him Irish or English, but I do not know. Oh. I'm sure it would. To some people, it would. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially the Irish. <laughs> Which Wikipedia it, it, says he's English. <laughs> oh, Dave, good. Dave, Dave would know. Dave would know. I feel better now. <laughs> Which brings us to the point at which we're halfway through the show, and we would say at this point, did we have a poll this week? And oddly enough, yes, we did. Yes, we did. And we asked people who their favorite sci-fi gangster was this week. And we had no idea what we were going to get. Again, thanks to Facebook, we can't do our old-fashioned polls where we pick. We're, we're a little more manageable about who gets We it. have no control. We Over don't. The People just oh, that throw stuff out there. Speaking of Sylvester McCoy. Um, but we did have a more manageable amount of ideas this week. I will say that. We do have a first, second, and third that were pretty legit. So, mm-hmm. um, Our third place 
We have two. We have a tie for third place, and that is between Alex of uh, Clockwork Orange and his Droogs, which is a pretty good pick, actually. Yep. Acceptable. And he is tied with Harry Mud. I'm so happy people brought up Harry Mud. Harry Mud. Yep, yeah, but Harry Mud was just a, a con artist. Yeah, well, exactly. Kind of gangster. Exactly. No, I okay. wouldn't put him in the same category with Alex. No. No, not at all. But I mean, they were, different. they were different kind of like Alex could be a gangsta. Yeah, and <laughs> and Harry would be and like you know, be a gang the guy that goes to jail because he was sitting in the getaway car. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Coming in at number two, our clear winner for number two was definitely Jabba the Hutt. Okay, makes sense. Hmm. And clearly, our number one, which we have a lot of. Brown Coats fans out there who are going to uh, be wide margin mm-hmm. would be Badger from Firefly. Ta-da. Ta-da. I have to ask: Were there any votes for the '50s style gangsters from Caprica? We had one vote for the Tarons. Okay, and we also had one vote for Londo Coruscant. He's not really a gangster, though. Now he's a mayor. You know, I got into an argument with X about that, because I'm like, well, he, he kind of was. He was the kind that kind of amasses this fortune and then tries to go straight. And yeah. Get, uh, gangster stuff. But... It was like a reverse leverage type situation. <laughs> yes. Yes. That was very good. <laughs> well played. And then we did have one vote for Rogers for Agent Smith, which I still say can't be, he's not a gangster, he's a construct. So, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't, I, you've got to have somebody out there who just kind of goes weird on you. That was our goes weird on you this week. <laughs> but Lex we Luthor a gangster? Who? Lex Luthor. He oh, was, actually. a gangster. He's yeah. also a megalomaniac, so. And he stole 40 cakes. <laughs> and that's horrible. <laughs> because I had also brought up is the um um from Spider Man, um Kingpin. King Goblin. Is Kingpin okay. a gangster? I think and Kingpin is, but Green Goblin, Doc Ock, the rest of them not so much. Not mm-hmm. so much. Not so much. But Kingpin King is definitely because he's yeah. not really a superhero. He's kind of a really huge guy who's got mutated muscles. I guess what I'm saying is I'm surprised we didn't get more superhero answers. We did not. People were staying with the bad guys. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, supervillain. Oh, supervillain. Yeah, no, we didn't get a, a lot of those at all. They were going very science fiction-y for once. Huh. Come on, comic fans. Step it up. <laughs> <laughs> a word of praise from the Zombrarian. <laughs> no, we will try to come up with a more original one next week because this one actually went it, it, there was a big thing going between Badger and Jabba, Jabba the Hutt for a while yeah there was there was a lot of back and forth happening I there. was really expecting like when you said there was a clear winner I was like oh Jabba the Hutt then but Clubs. way to go brown coats prove me wrong I think that's what they did the brown coats got together and nudged each other and brown coats nudging <laughs> Film at eleven. <laughs> now you need to put money in the creepy jar. Hey, all I said was they nudged. 
You snorted. I did. There you go. There we so, go. In Boston, there's this group of guys who play with toys. But they do it in a very creative way because they're actually the Boston Area Toy Collectors Club. We have two gentlemen from the club uh, who are unashamedly toy guys, Dave Campbell and Steve Lanzilla. Welcome to the show, guys. Yeah, thanks for having us on. I'm Steven. And, and Dave's... Yeah, there we are. And I actually... Dave, I think ran into you at Rhode Island Comic Con uh, last year uh, and said, yes, we have booked you on the show. <laughs> yeah, and we had a table set up there and I was running around helping out with stuff. And it was an incredible table of some of the... There's vendors and then there's collectors. And the vendors go, hey, here's my stuff. Uh, but when the collectors go, here's our stuff, it's a very eclectic setup. So how did you guys explain to our audience what the Boston Area Toy Collectors Club actually is? Yeah, well, I was traveling a lot in the 90s, and then when things got a little bit slower, I had this epiphany, and it came in stages, going to stores, I was seeing many people buying Star Wars items. Uh, Hasbro was reigniting the license pretty aggressively around 94. And obviously, Star Trek, a company called Playmates, had the license at the time and was really almost at the peak in terms of quality, in, term, in terms of building action figures. And I could digress beyond that, but one thing became very obvious is none of these people were communicating with one another and would go to toy shows and would find items that we'd been looking for and searching for in the hands of dealers who, as you just said, Billy, were just looking to make a buck. And I said, you know, it's a free enterprise system, and I'm not going to say that they shouldn't be uh, cutting deals with people in back rooms of stores and such. Um, but, you know, who's to blame except us? So in about 17 years ago now, I started the organization uh, for meeting people in stores. I came up with a list of 30. Of those 30, three people actually showed up at the first meeting, um, and one stranger who had heard about it from someone else. And these were all people that said, if you start this, count on me, I'll be there. So I, I learned a lot right from the very beginning. <laughs> but, you know, uh, I said, our, our mission's a very straightforward one. There are organizations on a national level and then regional you know, branches for G.I. Joe. Star Wars, there's a whole army of them, literally, uh, for people who like to collect just robots, there actually are organizations. And, of course, as you'd expect, Bobby, the list goes on. However, I envision an organization that pulls together the talent and the knowledge of all of us, and we cross-pollinate each other. And even if you never collect Matchbox cars or you never collect G.I. Joe, you're going to look out for your fellow members that do. And so the whole inspiration came about because we were having difficulty finding things we wanted, either things out of production for many years that could turn up at a flea market or a yard sale, or things that we knew coming out from the big boys or the small boys, or they were coming from Europe or they were coming from Asia, and the distribution was very spotty. And um, we had a slow start, and then we started growing and growing, and we started making our mission known to the toy industry itself. And uh, some of them took very, very strong interest in us. Others took a wait and see. 
and we just kept growing from that point. Uh, now, as I say, in our 17th year, we meet once a month at Sultra Plaza in Braintree, Massachusetts. Very easy to get to uh, for anybody listening, uh, just south of Boston. You can come, you can sit in, you can see if you like the group, if you like the way we conduct our meetings, uh, and then decide if you want to join. So there's no pressure whatsoever. And then we have a national event. Uh, we started the first one in the year 2001. 2014 uh, is obviously our 14th, and that will be on September 19th. And we choose different themes to celebrate. Uh, this year is the 75th anniversary of uh, Batman. 1939. It's also the 50th anniversary of Man from Uncle, uh, which was uh, an NBC production that they wanted to go right after James Bond, and they contracted with Ian Fleming. In fact, Napoleon Solo, played by Robert Vaughn, that name was created by Ian Fleming. So I created- love that show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, I just, that and the, and the girl from Uncle. I love those shows. But yeah. you realize what that means, Dead Redhead. I'm old. We're, I know We're that. really old, yeah. <laughs> I know that. Uh, we're also going to celebrate uh, so that the, we're very, very conscious of our growing female membership and extended family of female toy collectors who may not belong to us, but they, they always look to us for guidance. So we're going to swap over from DC Comics and we're going to go to Marvel Comics to have an anniversary, and that is Black Widow. Black Widow is 25. And then to round things off, uh, because we have a big contingent of die-cast car collectors, um, and we work directly with Matchbox and Maisto, and I could get down that list, but um, we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of the Ford Mustang. Uh, it first came out midway through uh, 1964, and in that case, we're working with... Uh, Ford in Dearborn, Michigan, uh, and of course we'll have all the representative uh, examples in, in different model form of the Ford Mustang. So to, to cut to the chase, really, our, our whole focus has been uh, the collectible toy industry from the very beginning, and I'm, so I'm not talking, you know, just the 1950s or the 60s. It really took on a whole new life with the introduction of the first Star Wars movie. So all you listeners, you should know, the collectible toy industry took a change in, uh, in, in, in episode number four, uh, A New Hope, and uh, it was clearly a case where now people were so enamored with that movie, they bought one to open up, and they bought a second one to preserve mint and package. That whole phenomena of mint and package was directly related to the Star Wars phenomenon, which means collectible toys prior to about 1979-1980, uh, most of them were taken out of the package, and that's what makes many toys as you go deeper into the early part of the 70s and, of course, anything prior to that so valuable if, you, if they're still in the original packaging. Um, but, but after Star Wars, Matchbox collectors kept stuff mint in package. It permeated the entire industry. All the collectible folks got scared, and, and that's you know, when it really started. So that's a little bit of a sketch, maybe more than you bargained for, about who we are. I got into so much trouble with the Lando Calrissian doll for my daughter. Mm -hmm. We we found an original first Lando Calrissian doll, and it was kind of battered up in a box in a bargain bin in a Toys R Us. And she looked, she brought it over to me and said, I want this. And I looked at it and it was like three bucks. And I went, we're getting it. 
we're getting it right. <laughs> Here's the problem. You're never opening it. Uh, <laughs> and to this day, my wife still gets on my case about that. But my daughter now appreciates it and likes it. Yeah. Well, that's why if I find something at a yard sale or flea market out of package, uh, reasonably priced, and I like it, even if it's missing some of the uh, some of the weaponry on this particular you know sci-fi figure, I'll buy it. Uh, because what it's done is it's taken that burden off off of me already. I don't have to make that decision. Somebody <laughs> else already did it. Somebody else already did it for me. You yep. know. So yeah. Because toys toys are going up in value uh, at retail. Um, I have a, a nice Simpsons figure. When Playmates uh, had the license. By the way, Playmates they make their money on the uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle uh, phenomena. And they make in lucrative, insane amounts of money, and due to this very day, they control the license, actually. So, I mean, they don't even have to, you know, split the money with uh, someone else. But uh, Playmates had the license uh, for Simpsons some years ago. And I was looking at one recently. I was just telling Dave on a trip to New York, and it's got a Toys R Us sticker on and it's $2.95. That was the retail price at the time. Nowadays, if we look at an action figure, even without accessories, we're looking at about seventeen to twenty dollars. Right. Yeah. So the pricing has changed dramatically, and what's happened in the toy collecting realm is the uh, era of the completist is largely dead. So if there's a new range of Star Wars figures coming out, or Star Trek, or Battlestar Galactica, it doesn't really matter. Uh, they're only going to choose the ones that really resonate with them, and the likelihood they're going to buy every single one. If the whole series is six. If the whole series is, you know, 10, if it's um, at a certain price point, and that's all they collect, then maybe. But because of the nature of our organization, uh, a number of people start to lean one way or the other in terms of their collecting interest. When they're talking to somebody who's very knowledgeable, they gain a uh, comfort level, and sometimes they start to buy that particular uh, line of uh, action figures and, or spacecraft or whatever. Um, that they didn't have comfort level with prior. So uh, if that happens, then, again, they're, they're faced with the quandary of how deep do I go, how much money do I spend. Can I ask you guys a question? Sure, of course. <laughs> kind of why they're here. Go for yeah. it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, <laughs> my question is, so the, the word, this is going to sound kind of weird, but the word toy and collectible are they much broader than they used to be? And the question I ask is because I am a collector of living dead dolls. I know that's not a surprise for anyone. Um, but I collect the living dead dolls, and it seems like it, those are very different when you look at some of the toy catalogs and so forth. Those are in a very different category, and is it because there are so many different categories or... Well, uh, let, me, let me dive in with your particular interest, um, the Living Dead Dolls. The lead license holder on that is a company called Mezco Toys. Yep. Uh, and <laughs> it's, it's pretty Spotty. <laughs> close, to, close to me right now. Um, on Monday, we had our meeting with Mezco Toys, and uh, Mike Drake, who heads up special projects, uh, said, Steve... We're in a bit of a quandary. And I said, what's that? Well, we have an award. 
in our possession, but the gentleman who is going to present it has a transportation uh, problem, and he isn't here, and he's not going to be here for some time. And at 4 o'clock, we have all the members of the media coming, probably, I don't know, 30, 20 or 30 people with cameras and all that. Uh, would you present the award to us because you're dressed very professionally? Nice. I said, do I have to make a speech? No. So I said, what is the award for? The award is for the Living Dead Dolls. And so I, I got to meet uh, Ed, who heads up all the design work for the Living Dead Dolls. Oh, yeah. Um, Mez, who is the company president, who generally only shows his face if uh, there's some big business deal being done. I've actually never met him, and I've been going to Toy Fair now for about 14 years. <laughs> and then... Um, uh, Damian Glunick, uh, yes. who also is in, yeah, and, and Damian and I go back, uh, it's fairly brief, only uh, two going on three years. So I'm there, uh, being filmed extensively, uh, you know, greeting them and presenting this award for the Living Dead doll. And uh, I don't know how many blogs and other places this picture has shown up, but if there's anybody in your audience who wonders who that man is making the presentation, uh, unknown man in suit, uh, you now can put a face <laughs> with a name. But, but more seriously, uh, to the other part of your question, a Living Dead doll has taken off in a number of markets, uh, not just the United States, but overseas. And it is definitely considered a collectible. Uh, they definitely put uh, effort into the packaging, as you're already aware, so that if they don't want to take it out of the package but they want to display it, uh, they certainly can do so. The person that makes the decision whether or not an item is a collectible toy is the collector, not the manufacturer. And the number one toy company in the world, Mattel, even they realize that some of the toys that they make with the DC Comics license under their Imaginext line, which are really only geared for like age four, age six, age eight, whatever, are being purchased by adult collectors. Mm -hmm. And I could give you many, many, many more examples where if it's something that appeals to an adult collector even though the manufacturer clearly labels it uh, for a, a young person, a juvenile, and the illustrations on the back show, you know, a blonde-haired boy, a girl, clearly about age six or so, having the time of their life playing with it, uh, a collector will buy it if they find the detailing and the accuracy uh, uh, speaks to them. It could be of a character that's very rarely done or some other reason. So the real answer to your question, the short one is, it's not driven as much by the adult collector toy manufacturers. Uh, what is considered a collectible toy is driven by the collector community. Okay. So you guys I'm just came... Because I take all mine out of the package as soon as I get them. I'm glad you do, because for the rest of us to keep it in package, that's what keeps our values going up. <laughs> I do. do you think, I, I, do you think I, I'm kidding? We're very happy with our people that do. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I feel very good about my Barbie superhero collection, but that's all. <laughs> Please, I'm yeah. totally not joking about that. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, there's a number of men who collect uh, the Barbie license, and in recent years, in recognition of that, again, Mattel, uh, has done a lot of cross-licensing. They came out a year ago, as you know, with uh, Batman. Uh, they have in the past done um, Star Trek. Uh, so they've, they've done a number of crossover licenses uh, using Bobby and Ken and others in that family, if you will, of dolls um, as, the, as, as the base for it. So, 
No, they, they clearly know adult collectors are buying their product. Quite a few are, actually. So you guys just came back from uh, what is arguably, arguably the biggest uh, toy convention in the United States. Yes, the United States. Uh, maybe not the world. There, there is some debate about Nuremberg, Germany. Uh, in the cycle of life in the toy world, not necessarily collectible toy world. Collectible toy world is more Comic-Cons and, and related toy events geared and facing the public. Um, there's a major one in Hong Kong, and then you spin the globe a bit, uh, and then one that follows uh, is Nuremberg, Germany, and that might be the biggest. Uh, people from the United States, obviously all over Europe, in many parts of Asia, uh, stream in there. There's a whole history uh, of the toy industry in Nuremberg, Germany. Many feel to this day the uh, mass-produced toy industry actually is a German phenomenon, and a lot of it crept up many, many years ago around Nuremberg. But to move on, um, the one that follows when Nuremberg closes uh, by approximately about a week is the uh, International Toy Fair in New York City. Again, not open to the public either. And this is a show, just as a little background. First one started in 1903. So this year was 111th annual consecutive year for the toy show. It's always been an event where the manufacturers show their current product and many, many prototypes that collectors would like to see, but it's not meant for them to see. It's meant for the buyers to see it. So if you were the owner of a comic book shop in New Hampshire or a chain around Boston, and I won't mention names, I'm, I'm not trying to plug people, please, <laughs> but, um, you know, you would go to this to see what's new for collectible toys. Now, the obvious ones are Walmart, Target, Kmart, Toys R Us, and again, I could go on. And mentioning their names, I don't really care too much because they're large, bloated organizations, and I don't care if they hear me say it. They just are. And they're going there, and they wouldn't know a collectible toy if, if you hit them over the head with it. Mm. And the people on the selling side, whether it's Mattel, Hasbro, uh, Tomy from uh, Tokyo, Bandai also from Japan, uh, Lego, uh, which plays very heavy at Toy Fair, headquartered in Billund, uh, Denmark, all these firms are trying to convince buyers to look at their prototypes, look at what they currently have in production, and get them on the spot to place orders. So really, this is a business-to-business -business event. Um, the collector community is present, but generally we're there with press credentials uh, reporting on what we see. So again, just a quick background, because so many people I've talked to over the years think you go to this event with a swag bag and just load up with stuff, and actually... Um, they're color-coded badges, and the ones that they're all looking for are, have a green stripe on them, and that denotes a buyer. And uh, people in the press don't have a green stripe. So if they're really haggard about trying to fill up a quarter of new business, uh, they're not particularly excited about talking to us if they have an opportunity to talk to a buyer. That said, in the field of sci-fi toys, no surprise to anybody listening, Star Wars uh, is cross-licensed all over the place in one way or another. Star Trek is still very visible at Toy Fair. So there's new product in the pipeline for all your listeners to be looking forward to. Uh, the Big Bang Theory, uh, which is kind of a crossover because of all their interest in, 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 uh, in science fiction and all, uh, is coming on very strong this year. 
and one company actually decided to do Sheldon uh, dressed up in a Star Trek uniform. So there you have a, an actual <laughs> crossover. Um, we also found a, a number of other brands that are far from dead, like Doctor Who, even though the anniversary was last year and everybody was trying to make a dollar out of it, um, we still found an awful lot of Doctor Who product uh, at this event. Now, my travels around the world, I can tell you, they live, they kill for Doctor Who product in the U.K. Uh, but when you come stateside, you do find pockets of people who are extremely loyal. Uh, so it's, it's the fact that it's such a large country, uh, the United States. It can be carried in somebody's catalog with national... Uh, penetration, uh, so they don't have to depend on a local audience, if you will. Uh, same thing if they're selling online nationally. But then we look for other things, too. And we did find some Battlestar Galactica, and we did find Mass Effect, and we found um, other science fiction licenses. But, um, again, uh, the, the predominant push is still Star Wars and, to some degree, uh, Star Trek. Then from there, we met with close to 50 companies. So we're looking again at all toys uh, from emerging companies, uh, whether they're from Japan, Germany, Italy. Uh, and and it, it really is a fascinating event. Uh, Dave, uh, who's also with us, uh, and I feel maybe I'm not giving him a chance to speak with his own tongue. I apologize, Dave. Uh, it was his second time at Toy Fair. I took him with me last year. Uh, so he dived into the deep end of the pool. So, this Steve, year, how many how many years have you been going to Toy Fair? About fourteen. So um, I'm still a newbie. If you look back to the fact it's been going on for 111 years, <laughs> but I, I, br I bring I you know I, I bring the fact that at this point I could talk to anyone in product development or toy design development because again I've been very uh, conscious in the deep end of the pool of collectible toys now for about 20 years. And uh, and I won't drop names of people that, that contact me with questions or anything like that. But I can go face-to-face -face, uh, with somebody who designs toys, and uh, this is the license we're looking for, Steve, et cetera, et cetera. And we did have instances like that at Toy Fair where we were showed prototypes that even senior buyers weren't being shown because they were very concerned about what direction to go with this DC Comics license or this other license or so forth. But um, for collectors in general, the manufacturers are trying to follow trends. They're looking for safety. They have been for years. So what they're looking at this year are, are various anniversaries. And the anniversaries are everything from, and some of your audience is going to be thoroughly bored, but just to read them off, Wizard of, the, Wizard of Oz, Gone with the Wind, Batman, I already said, that's the 75th, uh, Man from Uncle, $6 million Man, uh, Black Widow from Marvel Comics. I already mentioned the Mustang. The Simpsons, anniversary year. Uh, another one is Godzilla. So when we're looking around, we anticipate many of these manufacturers to be looking for uh, safety. Uh, let's make something that we're almost guaranteed there's going to be an audience for. And uh, we didn't see anywhere near as much activity pushing forward on the Simpsons as we thought we were going to see. That was kind of surprising. Um, but the Simpsons the other... has been a grind. They've been grinding it out for 26 years now. Uh, it's shown every week in 122 countries. Uh, the largest market in the world for knocking off pirated uh, Simpsons merchandise is uh, Argentina. 
the, the only market known in the world that tried to uh, really be blatant uh, was Australia, uh, where they came up with their own uh, Buzz Cola and Duff Beer. And that was shut down pretty quickly, too. So it, it's, it, it is a worldwide phenomenon. Uh, Simpsons merchandise in the U.K., for instance, that can't keep it on the shelves. So, um, wow. so yeah, you're right. You're right. You would think it's, it's losing steam. But um, on the merchandising end, no. Godzilla, we only found a couple of companies. One that was pretty straightforward, uh, Bandai of uh, Japan. But um, they didn't want to show it to us. It was still, you know, pending some approvals. NECA, on the other hand, an American company, NECA, uh, did take us out back, also still pending approvals. Many of the things we saw, by the way, we were not allowed to, uh, to uh, take photographs of. And Godzilla merchandise is one such instance. But we did see some of the work that uh, NECA was doing on that. Um, Six million dollar man, if anybody is, is attacking that license, uh, we did not see it. Uh, different companies were working on Black Widow product uh, from Marvel Comics. Obviously, everybody's working on the Batman license. However, what they're really working on, uh, this really only started to bear fruit last year, believe it or not. There were some legal issues that needed to get resolved, is the uh, 1960s TV show. So Adam West and Bert Ward have been doing very well since last year. I was curious if it was going to be a one-year phenomena. There's even more companies this year that have uh, Batman and, and Robin, and actually all the characters uh, from that TV run uh, that will be coming into stores, whether you're in wow. New Hampshire or wherever you are. By the way, our membership is nationwide and international. So in addition to working with all these toy companies, we have feedback on what's happening in markets all over the world. Um, many of our members don't attend meetings. Many of our members, because of geography, simply can't. And we'll see them maybe at our national event if they can fly in from, you know, Great Britain or wherever they physically are. But um, Wizard of Oz, we saw more companies than I thought <laughs> had merchandise for it. Um, Gone with the Wind, not really. I think that's going to be sold as collectibles and gift shops and things like that, that anniversary. Um, so, no, we, we, we see um, the toy industry uh, with a very wide vision. And to this day, we have been told, we are the only organization of our type in the world. And that has come from our members in California, our members in Texas, our members in Georgia, Florida, North Carolina, uh, everywhere, as well as overseas. So, so um, let's take a quick minute and, and talk to the newbie who is only there for his second please year. Please do. Please do. <laughs> Dave, take it away. So, Dave, as, as someone who... Probably the first year was like going to your first, like, you know, Valhalla. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was different for you this year going? Well, the first year, you're just kind of trying to figure out where everything is because the, the Javits Center is so enormous. And in setting up meetings with companies, you kind of have to, to a certain degree, let them tell you when you're going to meet with them. So you end up running up and down and back and forth. Um, so just kind of the pace of it is something to get used to, but, um, it, it's great going back and not just meeting these people for the first time, but actually saying, Hey, we love what you did last year with this or that. And, and, um, you know, getting the reaction from them as far as, um, them seeing what you liked and, 
get, getting a good reaction for, you know, what's upcoming and stuff like that. What were the things that impressed you? It, see, there's, there's, there's the long view that Steve has going at it for so many years. It, it's almost like, okay, we've seen this, we've seen this, we've seen this over the years. This is great. How about for you? What, what really wowed you this year at the New York uh, Toy Fair? Um, for a lot of things, it was the kind of um, what surprised me more than wowed me was the going back to the style of the toys that I when I was a kid. The number of companies now that are are doing kind of look back toys, and I don't know if it's partly because of the Batman series being popular, but. Um, like Funko's doing these three and three quarter figures, and they're, they're doing all original characters, characters that haven't hadn't been done in that style. But they're um, like the Crow and um, Back to the Future, and all different characters like that that are in that kind of little GI Joe style that wasn't too, you know, fancy, but was like late seventies, early eighties style. Mm-hmm. Um, companies that are doing the, the Mego style seems to expand each year. Um, and then you get some of the... They, they're going smaller, and then they're going bigger. Uh, NECA's doing a whole bunch of one-quarter scale, so they're 18-inch figures that are a good size. When you, If you're going to be a collector, you're not going to collect too many of these because they're going to fill up your, <laughs> your uh, space yes. pretty quick. And they're also going to drain your wallet pretty quick too, aren't yes, they? Yes, can. That can happen too. Yeah. 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 And is price point ever a discussion at places like this? Do you want me to we feel that, Dave? Um, it it doesn't seem to be to me. Uh, they they kind of decide if they're going to go and aim it at the collector that. Um, if they tell somebody it's going to be a hundred bucks, they kind of don't expect to, they expect, you know, you're going to realize that this quality thing and you're going to want it. Um, hmm. But, you know, honestly for us, when a figure is going to be twenty, twenty-five, thirty dollars for a figure and they're saying, oh yeah, and there's six in this series, you'll want them all. That's, Okay, yeah, I might want them all, but I'm not going to be able to afford those all, <laughs> or all at once. Yeah, no, um, good, good point, Dave. Uh, one company that was there, Interbay, it was the first time exhibiting, and we have been following them. They're, they're based in Asia. And um, last year we saw one of their first products, only 500 made, and it was Christian Bale as Batman, Dark Knight. Uh, most of their figures sell for about $400 retail. So the manufacturers are looking at how much can they gouge, really, uh, the collector market. Uh-huh. And the retailers are looking at it and going, how much margin am I going to get out of this proposition? But still concerned about the retail price point affecting how much of it they can sell. So there's, there's a dance that goes back and forth. And generally, the collector is not involved in any of those discussions. It isn't until it actually hits retail that we find out what's coming out and what they've decided to do for pricing. Would you agree, Dave? Oh, yeah. 
I, I think the uh, the like I think Steve mentioned earlier, the age of the completist is kind of yeah. Um, yeah. beyond us now. If you're if you like more than one property, um, then you're going to have a hard time being a completist anymore because it's not like when we were kids and you know for two dollars. Um, mom and dad could buy you a Star Wars figure so if they bought three or four for your birthday or something you were on your way to being a collector right <laughs> you know guys we could talk about this for hours and I got a hundred more places I wanted to go with this uh, but we've been going at it for over half an hour already and I, I can't thank you guys enough uh, it's Dave Campbell and Steve Lancilla from the Boston Area Toy Collectors Club gentlemen uh you got to come back. We got we got a lot of other stuff to talk about. Uh, but thank you for being with us again tonight. Thank you. Good pleasure. Thank you, Brianna. What's happening in the world in the next couple of weeks? Well, first of all, I have to ask you, how's the music level? Does it sound good to you? Yeah, sounds great. Okay, good. Sometimes I can't tell. Well, next week we chat with Stacy Longo about her new book, mystery book. I don't know what it's called. Do you know what it's called? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, on the 8th, Christy Peterson Schoonover, our dear, dear friend, is dropping in to talk about Poisoned Ground. On the 15th, Michael J. Sullivan joins us for, I believe, a third time to chat up Hollow World. And on March 22nd, Jamal Igel is, is joining us for real this time to talk <laughs> about Molly Danger and the dangers of Kickstarter. Dead Redhead. Sci-Fi Saturday Night is the official podcast of Boston Comic-Con, Granite-Con, Rhode Island Comic-Con, and ComicArtHouse.com. Visit ComicArtHouse.com for the best deals on original art from dozens of your favorite artists. Tonight's outro music provided by The Traffic Lights. Pick up their CD, Hold the Folk, at RobWattsOnline.com. I want to thank Dave Campbell and Steve Lanzilla from the Boston Area Toy Collectors Club. We'll have them back to talk about other things in the very near future. I want to thank our cast tonight for bringing us top flight talk and entertainment from the Revere Time Vortex, this sweetheart of the soundboard, Brianna, and our grammar, Zombrarian. Thank you very much, ladies. Our tubes are clogged! From the Four Color Vault of Comics, thank you very much, Dead Redhead. Good night, everyone. This is Dome saying, Genie, shared pain is lessened, shared joy increased. Thus do we all refute entropy. Good night, everybody. I know. <laughs>